invite you to turn tonight in your Bibles. We're going to be uh, continuing our little series that we've done off and on on thinking biblically. Again, for just a little book, I'm kind of taking parts of this and teaching uh, that tonight. And so we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to start there. We're going to go to a couple other passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And tonight we are looking at the concept of thinking biblically in aspect of judgment. Judgment. And sometimes the word judgment uh, has a very negative connotation. But I want to encourage you tonight as we think about judgment, how a believer faces God's judgment, that it's actually a good thing. And uh, so this is going to be kind of challenging. But again, it's how we live our lives. Again, the concept of this book of thinking biblically is, again, understanding of how we look at our lives and the things around us or the events that happen to our lives. A lot of times we are influenced or we see the world, we see the things around us through what we experience maybe on the news, uh, from our, what our neighbors say, what family members say, maybe what some great book you read said, something like that. We're influenced from a variety of sources, and that's kind of how a lot of people then will view the Bible or they will view God in that way. Um, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of people who view God or view the Bible from worldly sources many times can get tripped up, okay? And so this is very important that we understand First of all, how should we view life? It should be through God's eyes, through His Word, and that's how we should see the world around us. Uh, just a very quick uh, case in point, when you look at the news, and to be honest with you, I can only handle about 10 minutes of that before, man, I, I just like, okay, I got to take a walk or something, I'm getting too depressed. All right, it's just th that type of atmosphere. But if, if someone really allowed themselves to really dwell on what they see on the news, by the way, good news doesn't sell as much as bad news does, Right? <laughs> that's they they know what they're doing okay <laughs> they know what they're doing but nonetheless if you simply dwelled on what you heard on the news every night that could really affect how you operate uh just this past week uh, uh, one of the big banks uh had to close F the fdic had to take it over uh people lost money and all that i mean if you're involved in that man that is your world and came crashing down as a believer in christ though how would you view that the flesh would say, oh, woe is me. That's it. We're done. You know, that's it. What, what else is there to do in this life? But as a believer, what we would know, as bad as that is, and that is a very serious thing. If someone has an account at that bank, you know, they're going through rough, rough stuff right now. But for the believer, we know that's not the end of the story. Okay? We have an eternal treasure that awaits us in heaven for those that love the Lord. And that's something that we can appreciate. So just that's just kind of helping us how to view and how to process things. Doesn't mean things in life will be easier, but it will, I would say, keeps things in perspective when we look at the, our lives and we look at the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of, what, of God, what God sees. And so that's kind of what we're doing tonight. So we've been talking about different aspects of, for example, dealing with authority. We've talked about dealing uh, with uh, God's will, with uh, dealing with God's presence, and also wisdom, and tonight we're looking at judgment. So how does judgment come into play in a life of a believer? And so, like I said, the word judgment itself, usually we're like, ah, I don't like that word, okay? But I think at tonight you're going to be blessed by this little study. So again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read, begin with one verse here, to verse 10. It's a familiar verse. You've probably heard it preached. You've probably read it, maybe even memorized it. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether to, uh, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Okay, so this verse here talks about that one day, every person, every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so this is what we're talking about judgment tonight. So if you know what God's plan is for judgment, how would that affect your life? That's kind of the purpose of tonight. If you knew that one day you would be judged by God, and by the way, according to this verse, you will be, how then should you live? Wow. Okay, this helps us begin how to think biblically, how to think according to God's plan. So this is kind of to wrap our minds around. Again, I think one thing we are afraid of is, and we'll talk about it a little bit later here tonight, but there are two basic judgments uh, in regards to individuals, okay, in eternity. Uh, when, when someone dies or, or at the end, we, we face two judgments. For the believer, it is what we call the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the bema, the bema seat. For the unbeliever, for those who are not saved, what is the judgment that they will one day face? It's called what? The great white throne judgment, okay, found in the book of Revelation. Is that a serious judgment? Absolutely. That has eternal consequences at stake. The believer's judgment is very different, and I think you will be blessed by the time we go through this. And if anything, it will encourage you just to live for the Lord even more as we go through. That's kind of the purpose of tonight. So this is kind of what helped me as far as processing, too, on what does the judgment seat of Christ give us an idea of what it's like. Perhaps you and your your job, maybe at one point, maybe sometimes every year, different companies do this, or periodically, you have a performance evaluation you know what I'm talking about? The boss calls you in or the manager calls you in and uh, said, okay, we need to meet on this day. Meet me at uh, 1 o'clock on Friday, and we're going to do a performance or a job evaluation. How have you been doing over the past year or so at, at your place of employment? Now, um, I, that hasn't happened to me a whole lot. Uh, when I worked at Grandview Lodge uh, some years ago, I remember I had to meet with my boss uh, every once in a while. Uh, just for job performance, and usually we, we got along great personally anyways, and we worked closely, so it wasn't that as big of a deal, but we always did, okay, how can we make the situation better? How can I improve my, my work and things like that? And so the thing is this, if, if we go into that, and I, let's say I had been sloughing off for the past several months, you know, and it was noticeable, um, do I expect to get anything out of that? Probably maybe a little tongue lashing, if anything, it probably wouldn't be to my favor. But what happens a lot of times in these job evaluations? If you are doing well, you're doing your best, and your employer, your manager see that, what is an outcome that hopefully you will get out of that job evaluation? A raise, a bonus, a benefit, maybe an extra cup of coffee. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on your place of employment, okay? And so uh, you're hoping to get some benefit. I, and here's the, the big word a reward for your work. You understand what I'm saying? You're, you're kind of, that, that's one of the great things of those evaluations. But I think a lot of times, even if you know that there's a potential for a reward, a raise, a bonus, whatever, a pizza party, you know, <laughs> whatever you may get out of that, there's still a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of like, I hope this is going to go okay. There's always a, you're just second guessing that going in. It's just part of human behavior. But let's say this. 
You go, in the scenario, and I'm going to read it kind of from the book here. Imagine yourself in, a, in your boss's office for your yearly review. The boss is sitting behind a large, dark, imposing desk. He or she is facing away from you as you enter the room. You take your seat and nervously <coughs> cough, informing the boss of your presence. The chair begins to swivel toward you, and much to your surprise, as the boss turns, you find yourself looking square into the eyes of yourself. That's the idea. You are delivering a review of yourself, and the subject of the review is your life. How have you been doing? So in other words, you're facing the man or the woman in the mirror, okay? Every day, we kind of do a judgment. Hopefully you do, okay? You get up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're doing an evaluation of how you looked from last night, okay? <laughs> and hopefully you're making little things and maybe you're rewarding yourself with the first cup of coffee in the morning. You know, that's what I do anyway. And so nonetheless, uh, these are different, different areas. Now we're going to talk about different areas. So I want you to think now about your life, and we're not looking at your place of employment per se, but let's just look at your life in general, maybe over the past few months or the past year. And this is just self-examination. I just want you to think out loud. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want you to think, okay? So I'm going to list five different areas in your life that, um, and see how you're doing in those areas. First of all, let's talk about your family. How are you doing with your family? Um, are you, you know, how's the communication going, for example, helping each other, things like that, your status in your family? How about your friends? And I would maybe extend that to maybe neighbors as well, but friends, neighbors, people that you associate with. How are you getting along with them? What's your strength and what's your weakness in that? Now your place of work. If you are working or do some type of work, uh, how are you doing in that area? Is, is this, how is your behavior uh, dealing with work? Okay, are you doing your best? Uh, for example, how is your attitude? A lot of it has to do with attitude. It's what, you might have someone at your place of work, which, uh, man, they do a great job, but their attitude just stinks. They get the job done, but they're the most difficult people to be around. Hopefully, you're not one of those, okay? <laughs> the idea is this, that you're, wherever you may be, it's all about your attitude, okay? Then how about church? How are you doing in church? When you're here, uh, when you're even away from church, how, what is your thoughts about that? How do you help uh, edify one another, building one another up, for example, serving the Lord, serving one another, for example? Uh, spiritual growth, how are you doing in your spiritual growth? Are you reading the Bible, praying every day, and obeying in that regard? What's your strength and your weakness? How about worship? Now, to be honest with you, we worship all the time, every day, whether we realize it or not. Okay? Remember, we've talked about this before, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And that's really what worship is, is, is pleasing the Lord. And so this is very important as we understand that. So as we talk about family, friends, work, church, spiritual growth, worship, in these areas, uh, where would you rank yourself? You know, it's like, well, I'm doing really good with my family, but not so much at work. Or, you know, whatever you think. You know, those are some different ideas. But it's kind of like just a self-evaluation. How are you doing? How are you doing in those areas? Now, like I said, a review of your life can be a humbling experience. Okay? Like I said, a lot of times we just get caught up in the rut. We get caught in the day-to-day -day routine. And we kind of forget how our actions and attitudes affect us or not. Uh, this is something that we need to be careful. How is our attitude how do we are, we, are we showing the love of Christ, for example, in everything we do and say? Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that the Lord gives us uh, to serve Him? 
to tell others about him. Uh, there's just a variety of different things you can do that. So here's the point. Do you realize that every Christian is being evaluated? We are. Every action, every thought, everything we do, every desire is being evaluated by God. And so when you think of the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going back to that, we're thinking of evaluation. Think of a job evaluation. One day we will have the ultimate job evaluation, if you will, or a life evaluation, and that is when we stand before him after we leave this earth, after we die or when we are ushered in the presence of the Lord. Our actions will be then evaluated, okay? And so I like what the comment here says, like earthly employers, God has designed this evaluation process to impact the moral and ethical decisions we make and the actions we make now, we take now. He desires that we live exemplary lives motivated by the judgment to come, or think evaluation to come. I think sometimes believers, they get scared when they think about, we're going to be judged by God, and they're like, let me duck for cover. You know, I don't want any lightning bolts coming my way. Okay? But we're going to find out this is more an evaluation on that. So, question number one we're going to talk about is this. There are few, two foundational truths about this future judgment. The first foundational truth relates to who is being judged. Who is included in this judgment, okay? So we started off here in uh, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So I got to ask you this question. We must all appear. Who is we must all? Who is this talking about? Christians, believers. Okay, so it's regarding that, okay? Paul also describes that in the uh, book of Romans, chapter 14, very similar idea that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, okay? And so this is the Bema. Now, when we talk about the Bema, let me just say this here. In verse uh, 10, the judgment seat of Christ, judgment seat in Greek is one word, Bema. What is a Bema? It simply means a platform. In a city hall, let's say, or at the gate of the city in, in back in these days, um, when there was a special, let's say, a contest, an athletic contest, for example, that was going on. The participants would come to the Bema to be evaluated based on making sure they were knew the rules, for example, and that they would play according to those rules. There was also a place that after the contest was over, let's say a race, for example, that the winner would approach the Bema, the platform, the judgment seat, if you will, to receive their reward. Okay, now you're kind of getting the idea. This is what Paul is talking about here, that this is a time of reward for how we run the race of this life. Okay? So I don't know about you, but I'm already excited. Okay? The judgment seat of Christ should actually excite a faithful believer. It should excite us. Really, it should. Because it's an evaluation that we will get rewarded. Okay? So it affects believers. Um, and so this is important as we do this. Now, the second element of this is not just who is involved in the judgment, that's believers, but the second foundational truth is about its nature. Exact, uh, nature. So here's the point where the judgment seat, uh, the, excuse me, the great white throne judgment, that's for non-believers, that is their eternal state. The Bible says whoever was not found written in the book of life, what, where would they spend eternity? The lake of fire. They would be in hell forever. Uh, eternal separation from God. I mean, that's scary when you think about that. Uh, that is the fate of the non-believer. But for the believer, what is our nature? What is our eternal state? Let's go to a couple quick verses. Go back to, with me to the book of John, chapter 5. 
John chapter 5. We're going to just look at a few passages tonight here and there just to kind of set the, get our understanding here. John chapter 5, verse 24. It's, uh, Jesus is saying here, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, okay, but is passed from death to life. So those that believe on the Lord... They have everlasting life. And it says here, they shall not come into condemnation. And that word, another way you could say that is judgment. They will not have that eternal judgment, and that's away from God. Because why? They're passed from death into life. So the believer is saved and secure. That's the idea. Go with me now to the book of Romans chapter 8. Here's another very important passage. It kind of relates very well to what we just read in John. Romans chapter 8. In verse 1, this is a great verse, a verse that you should memorize, okay? I would say probably half of the book of Romans you should memorize at least, and probably the other half you should keep handy, okay? <laughs> it's one of those books. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no what? Condemnation or judgment to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, this is very important. For those who are in Christ Jesus, if you are saved, you are in Christ. That's a relationship that can never be broken. Okay? As uh, it says earlier in the book of John, no man can pluck you out of the hand. And later on in Romans 8, at the end of this chapter, no one, no one can separate, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we have here, there's therefore now no condemnation. In other words, for the believer... The judgment seat of Christ or the evaluation at the Bema, for example, is not, your, your eternity is already settled. That's the point. Okay? You do not need to fear the judgment of God in, in that regard, okay, at, at the end of our life. So this is very important as, as we see this. So here's the thing. These verses support the believer's confidence in spending eternity of God. There is no condemnation. So true believers are never at risk of losing their salvation. Okay? I think the Bible's very clear on that. There's a couple verses people might question, but the overall story and what we have here from the Gospels and what we have here in Paul's writings, over and over it just confirms more and more that our relationship is secure, our eternity is secure in Christ. I praise God that my security is not secured by me. I'd be all over the place, okay? I, but we, our eternity is secured in Christ, okay? Praise God for that. Um, so with that in mind, this, since the believers uh, have nothing to do with their eternal destiny, what is the nature then of the future judgment? Okay, so here's one thing I want to say here before we move on, that the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation, this is not about whether you are saved or not, okay? This is, and some people believe that. You find a lot of different denominations or different churches or you maybe hear different preachers. You won't hear it from this preacher, but I'll simply tell you what other people have said is this, or a lot of people believe that you do your best in this life and when you get to heaven, God is going to do, you know what they're, you know they're going to say? He judges the good and the bad of your life, right? And if you've been good enough, yeah, St. Peter's going to let you in. All right, that's the general idea. It's a workspace salvation, okay? But the thing is this, this judgment seat that we talk about, our, we're, we're set. 
So what is this judgment all about? So the Bema Sheet is not about salvation. That's already settled. Rather, it's about rewards. Here's the thing. We talk about rewards. Salvation is free by the grace of God. Praise the Lord for that. Salvation is free by Christ's work. However, the rewards we get at the judgment seat or evaluation of God are earned. In other words, we earn those rewards. Okay? Look with me in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Okay, and we're going to look at verses uh, 16 through 18 here. Okay, and it says here, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell and worshipped on their faces, or, or, and fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken thee to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou should give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which, uh, which destroy the earth. Okay, so it's talking about the two judgments here in general. This is during the tribulation time. But nonetheless, the, the principle is this. In the middle of verse 18, what is given to the prophets and to the saints, to the believers? Rewards. This is the idea. The rewards. So this comes from the Lord in heaven. Okay, so very important. So, like I said, salvation is free, but the rewards are earned. Their future judgment of believers is a judgment of rewards. It's really a reward or loss of reward, as we're about to see. Okay, so while all our works will be judged, we will receive only rewards and not punishment. So here's the next thing. The Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation. That's already secured. And also, the other thing is this. The Bema seat is not about punishing sin. It's not about punishing your sin. Man, you have been bad. Here's a whole list of what you've done in your life. Man, why, you've just been terrible. Uh, you know, and God gives us a righteous spanking in heaven when we get there. There's a lot of believers who think that way. They're, they're very scared. They're very nervous about that. They're hoping God won't judge them, okay? And they live their lives in fear, and that's not the case. Because why? The Bema is not about punishing sin. Why? Because Jesus paid it all for your sin. You're, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Okay, he has taken our sins upon himself and nailed them to the cross. So the Bema is not about punishing our sins. It's, again, about reward or loss reward. So here's the thing. So this is, again, kind of getting some misconceptions out here. But what are, what, what are some things that, that happen? So first of all, the judgment includes all believers. Second, the judgment uh, concerns rewards rather than a believer's eternal state. Okay, so the judgment seat is about rewards, getting rewards. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go back to, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look there for, we're going to be there for a little bit now. In 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to look in verse 5. Okay, this is talking about uh, real judgment um, under the mysteries of God. Moreover, is required among stewards that it might be found faithful. Okay, and then talking about judgment, okay, in verse 5, it says, that chapter 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. 
who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then every man shall have praise of God. Okay? So here's the thing. What behaviors did Paul indicate here will be included in the judgment to come? He talks about hidden things, things that are in our minds concealed. Okay? Uh, in other words, does God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart? Absolutely. There's nothing, and we know this, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the presence of the Lord, Jesus is with us, His Holy Spirit with us, there's nothing that escapes God's knowledge in our lives, even our thoughts of our heart, okay? That's very important. So, the thing is this, there's nothing that we can hide, the hidden things. Um, I like what D.L. Moody said this, that character is who you are in the dark, okay? Character is who you are in the dark. So, the hidden things of our lives... And the counsels of our heart will be included in that. So this is a, can be a humbling and scary thought uh, in our private and public actions. In other words, does God care about what you think and what you harbor in, inside? He does, absolutely. He wants us to be free, though. He wants us to encourage us to do right rather than to be sucked into that. So this is very important. So with that in mind, then, how what does this judgment look like? Look with me back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just go one page, uh, one page back or one chapter back. And so let's talk about the, the, um, the judgment and what this judgment will look like. Okay? It says here now in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation of Christ, okay, gold, your relationship with Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Even the hidden things, talked about that later or earlier, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so yet as by fire. Okay, so this talks about the method of judgment. So how does God judge our works, if you will? Okay. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith, but we're saved unto good works. That's Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, and then verse 10. Okay, we are saved to do good works. Okay, and so at the end of our lives, when we get to heaven, when we stand before God at the judgment seat, He will try our works then by fire. It's how He tries things, okay? And what the idea is this, what will last? What is going to last? What is going to be of intrinsic value is the idea. And the idea is this. We know this. What can be tried by fire and still stand? That's things like gold, silver, and precious stones. You try that by fire, they're going to they're remain. Okay, that's what's going to last. Wood, hay, and stubble, when they're tried by fire, what happens to them? You can have s'mores. You know, that's about all they're good for, right? Okay? So it's basically worthless. It won't last. In eternity's value, it won't last. Okay? And so this is very important as we see here. Paul describes it that our uh, behaviors, our thoughts, uh, our works, if you will, will go in a sense that fire of judgment or evaluation. Okay? This is talking about our behaviors, um, our um, attitudes, for example, uh, opportunities that we've had for service. How did we use them? Are we living right uh, for the Lord? Okay? And so in these verses here, the idea that reward will be based on what remains after being tried by fire. And so this kind of also implies something like this, that, that there are different degrees of rewards for believers as well. 
In other words, not everyone is going to get the same exact rewards in heaven. The Bible talks about what's, what's some of the rewards in heaven that you know that we will get. What does the Bible talk about? Crowns. There are seven crowns, for example, for a variety of things, okay? Uh, for those who are faithful Lord, they will receive those crowns. Now, we don't get to keep those. We get to cast those at, at Jesus' feet. But in a sense, it is a reward. But there are people who will have that reward, but you're also going to have people who will have that loss of reward. They won't have really anything to show for their Christian life. I think what's really challenging to me as I think about, you know, what are we living for and even working for the Lord for? Are we really working for things that really matter, that are really lasting in this life? Okay? Um, we might work hard. We might try to raise a family. But my challenge is, are we raising not a... we? I, I say this with my children, for example, that I don't want my kids just to become good kids. I want my kids to become godly kids. So there's a difference. There's nothing wrong with having good kids. I have good kids in my neighborhood. But, you know, that doesn't make a difference on this side of eternity unless they are really godly kids. That's kind of the idea. That's just one example. When you work, maybe you're, you're a good worker at your place of employment, for example. But wouldn't you be rather known as a godly worker? that you're always known for doing what's right. Think of Joseph, for example. Joseph, even in the midst of the trials that he had with Potiphar's wife and for whatever else went on, you know, just a, a variety of hardships that he went through, he kept his nose clean, which is good, but he did it by honoring the Lord. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Those are the things that in the end will be tried by fire. And guess what? He came forth as gold. And so that's just one example as we think about this. So again, we are, as we read earlier, we must all stand or all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? So with that in mind, think about this. What are uh, behaviors, indestructible behaviors, like gold, silver, precious stones in your life? Think of like opportunities to serve. Uh, maybe there's someone that comes to your mind that, man, you, you remember a time when God just moved upon your heart to reach out to someone. Uh, that wasn't necessarily you doing that. God is leading you to that. That's the idea. Maybe telling someone about the Lord uh, is another example. Praying for someone. There's a lot of ways we can serve in different ways. Uh, destructible ways. Again, we're just simply going, you know, we're trying to live under the radar, for so to speak. Some people get to heaven by the skin of their teeth, if you will. In their own lives, they really don't have much to show for how they live for the Lord. And so this is the idea. How many indestructible behaviors, how many destructible behaviors do we have? When it's tried by the fire of God, evaluation of God, how is it going to stand uh, during this time? Okay? And so, again, all Christians do not receive the same reward simply for being a Christian. You don't get a participation trophy. Okay? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point. Okay? Uh, we don't always receive the same reward. We will have a loss reward or a loss of reward. It says, again, in verse... Um, uh, verse, look at this back in First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 14. If a man's work abide or alas, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. Again, if your behavior, your life, uh, for what you've done for Christ, if that lasts, you get a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So there's reward or loss of reward. This is what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. Okay, so this is very important. So the, the future, here's the thing. The future judgment that we face is a reality. This will happen. We don't escape that. We will all have that life evaluation before the Lord. But the, here's the point. The future judgment is obviously to serve as a... What, what does this mean for us today? 
is to serve as a motivation to do what is right in our lives as Christians, okay? In other words, let's not be godly, you know, the year before we pass away. <laughs> let's be godly now. Let's live for the Lord now, okay? So this is the idea that we have here, okay? So practically, how does this look like? Maybe you're thinking, oh, where do we start? Pastor, where do we start? How do we live godly now? Look with me in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, we're going to look at a couple of very familiar passages because Dave spent three years on this. So these are very familiar. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Here's some examples of how, of, of living godly now while we await, uh, await heaven, Okay. It says here in verse Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, okay? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another so much as, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the day approaching is one day we will stand before the Lord, okay? Uh, and so what do we do now? Okay, so we are supposed to provoke or to stir up love and good works. In other words, let's, let's do it. Don't wait for the good work to come to you. You just do it. Okay? Just do it. Also, assembling together. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. This is why the local church is God's idea. God, this is God's plan A. All right? The local church is God's idea. There is no plan B, folks. Uh, some people, they move on to different churches, whatever, but God's plan is for us to be in local churches, to be under the word of God, and then also to have that fellowship of believers, okay? Uh, the gathering of believers is essential, okay? Church is essential, going back to the old COVID days, okay? Church is essential. But assembling together, this is another way of how we basically maintain these good works. And then also, as we see here in verse 25, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, Keep, let's keep moving on. Uh, again, later on, Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith. And then Hebrews 12, talking about that great cloud of witnesses. Again, urging, urging, uh, urging us on to keep on going for the Lord. This is a motivation because what? The day is approaching. One day we will stand before the Lord. This is important stuff that we should do this. This is not for us just to think, okay, that's nice. We will stand before God. God will give us a reward. We'll get our trophy. I think, to be honest with you, a lot of Christians, and, and I'll be honest with myself, I think we will be sorely surprised at um, those maybe we thought that we were doing right with God, and you know what? We were just kind of sitting on our hands waiting for something to come. I think this is something that should wake us up, really, to let's do good works now. Again, we are saved uh, not by works, but we are saved to do good works. And does God, does that matter to God? Yes. It does. And so let us be, be patient, be understanding of this. Is. So the moral of the story, the moral of this idea today that we've talked about, about the judgment seat of Christ, is this, that these are moral and ethical decisions that we make each day, and this will result in eternal consequences. God will eventually judge, one day judge, and he will judge even insignificant attitudes and actions that we have done. We must live as if we were being evaluated today. Because God is evaluating us. And like I said, that can be scary. But for those who are resting in Christ, in that relationship, it should excite us. Here's one other thing I want us to think about as well. How does God treat us, the Christian, as what? 
his children. Think about that. He's not treating you as a slave, as a vagabond, as that whiny kid down the street (laughs) you see once in a while. He's treating you as his child. In other words, how is God going to treat his children? The Bible says what? Will he not give his children good gifts? So God wants to give us good things. Again, this should be not a thing to scare us. It should be a thing to motivate us to live for the Lord, to honor Him. Again, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Pleasing God, God loves that, and He loves to reward His own. I don't know about you, that's encouraging. So should we be afraid? Should the believer be afraid of of the judgment seat of Christ? No. If anything, it's a motivation. Let's keep going, going for the Lord. There's evaluation, a life evaluation awaiting us. And the reward is there for us, for those who love him. Praise the Lord for that. Precious promise tonight. So thinking biblically, that's how we think biblically, knowing that's going to happen. By the way, let's go back to the job evaluation, you know, when you're with your employer or your manager. Um, if you knew that evaluation is coming up in a couple weeks, how are you going to... Uh, how are you going to work? How are you going to present yourself at the workplace? You're probably going to do your, pretty, your best because you know that evaluation's coming. Guess what? There's an evaluation coming. Let's get ready, all right? And it's a good thing. 